Hi, this is David Olavsky, and welcome to another exciting adventure of the Robert Olavsky Show. Whether you're watching with our friends over at Tony Time, wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts, it is always wonderful to have you along for this adventure. And we have a sponsor uh, this episode who's sponsoring again, because obviously I have a very loyal uh, uh, audience out there, and they know that if I recommend something that it's very worthwhile. And, uh, and so they're advertising again, and I, and I will welcome them back. And uh, here's, the, here's the pitch, all right? Let's see you get this. Have you ever dreamed of owning a luxury apartment in the heart of Yerushalayim, one with views of Harabayas and a million-dollar value? Yes, is the short answer. By entering the fifth annual Dream Raffle. Dream, dream, dream. dream. Brought to you by Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael Chai. I... I haven't had a chance to sing on a podcast in a very long time, so I'm so happy for this sponsor. That dream can become a reality. Sometimes dreams do come true. Yep. But hurry, time is running out. The raffle ends on December 31st. Tick, 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 tick. That's a tick, by the way, in case you... Enter now at thedreamraffle.com, T-H-E-D-R-E-A-M, raffle.com, to take advantage of a special two-ticket for one deal. And be sure to use the discount code Orlovsky, O-R-L-O-F-S-K-Y. A lot of people put in a V. That is a mistake. Because uh, when my family came to Ellis Island, uh, their name in... Uh, Europe was Orlevsky. Aleph Vav Reish Lamed Ayin Vav Vav Samach Kuf Yud. But Americans can't do that V for some reason. That's why you have the name Rifki. There is no F in Rifki, but Americans have trouble going Rivki. They turn to Rifki. So Orlevsky turned into Orlovsky. Has nothing to do with the word laugh or laughski. <laughs> anyway, uh, so use the discount code Orlovsky, O R L O F S K Y. I always point out that I'm such an unof that I put an F S in my name so people know. At checkout for an additional 10% off for your chance to win, go to thedreamraffle.com. That's the dream raffle for your chance to win the Yerushalayim apartment of your dreams. Overlooking the Harbais. You can always find the davening. Yeah. There's always minyanim going on over there. Ah, Baruch Hashem. Okay. Um, we are getting into the weeks of the Avos. And like I say, I'm not always sure when uh, every episode is coming out. And also, it's not like we're doing this live. So people are watching whenever. I've mentioned this in the past, that all of a sudden somebody will discover the Robert Olowski show and binge watch or listen 
to hundreds of hours until their brain explodes. Because <laughs> there's only so much of this you can take. Trust me, I'm living in my head every single day. It is unbearable. So all of a sudden you're listening to a Hanukkah one or a Sukkot one or a Pesach one and you, 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 I try to keep the messages as universal as possible. So whenever you're listening in, so I, I try to go thematically, uh, in order to cover different ideas, but it is the weeks of the Avos and I do like to try to do some Avos, um, podcasts some ideas that are eternal. And as the Ramban says, his principle in Bereshus, Maisa of a similar bonim, anything that happens in Bereshus is a harbinger of things to come. Or as the inimitable uh, Ari Khan likes to say, Jewish history is Jewish destiny. He always had a turn of a phrase there. So um, uh, so whatever we're saying, of course, is always foundational as our lives of Jews. We are Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We have Midos that are um, embedded in our spiritual DNA from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So we need to understand. So I want to go to one of the most famous stories in the Torah. And that is, of course... The first interaction that the Torah speaks out between Yaakov and Esav. Now, there is one that is sort of alluded to, Vyas Rotsutsu, Habonim, right? The, the boys were fighting in the womb. Yeah. And, uh, apparently they did not want to be womb mates. And so, uh, they were fighting over there already that, 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 eternal battle between Yaakov and Esau was already starting. And, um, uh, but the first interaction when they come out, I guess you could say when they were born, Yaakov was holding on to uh, Esau's heel, but I'm talking about with his actual dialogue, you know, not just heel grabbing. You know? So here's the story. It's in Bereshis. Perak Chaf Hei, Pasek Chaf Tes. V'yozid Yaakov Nezid, Yaakov is making a stew, a soup. V'yovo Esav minasodeh v'huayif. And Esav comes in from the field and he is tired. V'yoma Esav el Yaakov haliteni no min ha'adom ha'adom hazeh ki oyef anochi. Pour down my throat some of this red, red stuff because I am exhausted. Alkain korashmo Edom. Therefore he is called Edom because he said, give me from this red, red stuff. V'yome Yaakov, I'll give it to you. Michra yom li. Sell me your birthright. Oh, that seems like a really bizarre exchange. I'm really hungry. Can I have some soup? Sell me your birthright. Okay. Really? If nothing else, just the concept that the Bechorah gets a double portion 
That's all, that's all. That means of the Yerusha, Esav was supposed to get two-thirds and Yaakov a third. And uh, you just give that up? Just like that? For some soup? It seems kind of strange. Yeah. So Rashi explains this red, red. Says Rashi, Adoshim Adumais. They are red lentils. Obviously, because there's green lentils as well. But also, Ayom Mace Avraham. And Avraham died. Ubishal Yaakov Adoshim. And Yaakov was cooking lentils. La Havrois Esa Avel. To bring the Sudas Havra'a to the mourner. The first meal, the Sudas Havra, is supposed to be brought to you. You're not supposed to prepare it yourself. Voloma Adoshim. Why was he cooking lentils? Shadomos le Galgal. Because they're round. Sha'avelus Galgal ha'chayzeba olam. Because there's a life cycle. People are born, people die, people are born. Furthermore, va'od ma'adoshim ein lahem peh, kacha aval ein lo peh. Because a mourner is not supposed to speak. Lefikach ha'minag la'havreis ha'aval, betchilas ma'acholoi beitzim. That's why our minig is to feed the mourner eggs, shehem agulem ve'in lehem peh, because they're round and they don't have an opening. Okay. It says like this. What is the red, red thing he was making? They were lentils. Red lentils. Why was he cooking him lentils? Because lentils are round, and lentils don't have an opening, and that's why we eat eggs. He was cooking lentils. That's why it was red. Because lentils are round, and lentils don't have an opening, and that's why we eat eggs. So one could beg the question, then why don't we eat lentils? I asked this question once, and someone said, because we don't like lentils. Okay. I think it's a choice kind of a thing, you know. I have to tell you the truth. Um, I'm not a big fan of hard-boiled eggs. Full dis- full disclosure. You know, Tisha B'Av is a rough time for me. I'm not crazy about hard-boiled eggs, and certainly in ashes, I don't find that it adds that much to the experience. You know? So uh, uh, even, you know, I can get through the white, but the yolk is particularly difficult. And so on Tisha B'Av, I have to get my way through an egg, and also at the Seder. Because you know it's a minute to eat an egg at the Seder. And by the way, the first night of Pesach is always the same night of the week as uh Tishavav. There's a connection. So uh a lot of people just take the egg and dip it in the salt water. My father would take a little bowl and take his egg and add the salt water to it along with the onion from the carapas, because we use onion for carapas, and he'd make this little soup and he would eat it. If I go to heaven, it'll probably be because of that. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my father's medic alive and eat this hard-boiled egg soup. I don't know. But, uh okay. Good good bowl of lentil soup? I think I could go for that. <laughs> I give it a choice between that and a hard-boiled egg. 
What's more intriguing is the fact that we know that the Roman Empire, which is the heir to Esav, uh, was named after the kingdom of Edom, and the descendants of Esav are called Edom, because he said, could I have some of the red soup? I guess if he had hard-boiled eggs, he would be called Lavan. Well, it would be a problem, because someone already had that name. Yeah? So, uh, uh, what's the significance here? And if he was making, I don't know, butternut squash, he'd be called Katom. And if he was making broccoli soup, he'd be called Yorok. I mean, what's the significance here? I understand if you want to say uh, Edom is appropriate for Asa because when he came out, it says he was ruddy. That's a simon to the dam. His shrikas domim. But uh, because he said, give me the red soup, that's what we call him, red. So I've spoken about this idea. I don't know if I've spoken about it on this Rashi, which to me is the makora for this idea. But I think it is so incredibly important for us to understand what's going on today, to get a perspective. And you know I like to be current. I like to try to look at the world around us and make it meaningful, relevant, supposed to be relevant to our lives. Yeah? There's a Marx Brothers movie where uh, uh, Chico was on the witness stand. And the guy was asking him a question. He goes, now I ask you a question. What's a big, has a bigger lung and nose, eats peanuts in the circus? He goes, Your Honor, that's irrelevant. That's right, irrelevant. <laughs> but the, the search for relevance, I've always mentioned this, that the bane of Chinuch today is that kids don't feel that what we're learning has relevance to their lives. It's a big problem. We have to make it meaningful. That's why when I had on uh, Dan Roth to speak about Torah Live, that's the whole concept of Torah Live, is to use animation and, and the same tools of entertainment yeah, for people to watch. And these kids, kids today love to watch these cartoons and these videos and to find one that's basically teaching uh, Torah values, right? make it meaningful to their lives, real-life examples. That's very important. Esav comes in from the field, and he sees Yaakov cooking, making a stew. Now, um, I grew up, I was taught how to cook. There were six boys in my family. There were no gender-appropriate jobs. So, uh, evidently, uh, I was gender-fluid, and I became the girl. And I had to do the cooking and the shopping and the cleaning and the, those kind of things because I really didn't have a head for business. My brothers all went into the store with my father to help. And he said, after a few times that I came into the store, he says, stay home and help your mother instead. You know, so I, I, I was more of that. My sons cook. My daughter's married boys who know how to cook. Where? But there are the old, um, the old uh, trope of, you know, the husband not knowing how to cook and not knowing what to do in the kitchen and those kind of things. Okay. But Esav knows that Yaakov doesn't do the cooking in the house. 
his mother Rivka does. Now, Esav was just as smart as Yaakov. That's why his head was Zoichet to be buried in Moras Machpela. And uh, he should have come home and seen Yaakov cooking and think to himself, gee, there's something you don't see every day. Why is Yaakov cooking? And then he would have looked into the pot and he would have seen, I don't know what's cooking there, but it's red. What's red? It could be tomatoes, but they haven't been discovered yet. Um, well, uh, lentils. Now, why would Yaakov be cooking lentils? Well, lentils are round and lentils don't have an opening. Oh my goodness. It must be as soon as Havra. Zayda must have died. I have to quickly go and make a, a Menachem Oval to my father Yitzchak. Now, Esav was perfectly capable of coming to this conclusion. It's not a very complicated conclusion. Instead, he looked at the stew and he said, Hmm, red. Looks good. Smells good. Probably tastes good. I'll have some. And he says, give me some of this red stuff. So Yaakov says, he knows I don't cook. He should be able to figure out what's in this pot. Could it be that he is so focused on externality that he doesn't care about anything beneath the surface? So he says, okay, sell me your Bechorah. And Esau's like, come again? I just just want some soup there. <laughs> he says, well, when we talk about Bechorah here, we're not talking about the money. I'm not, we're not arguing about the money. We're talking about becoming the Kohen Gadol. And in fact, Esau would put on the begadim of Adam Arishan when he would go to serve his father. The Medrash says that those were the big day kahuna. You want to be Kohen Gadol? You know, when you go into the Kosher Kedoshim, they tie a rope around you. In case you do something wrong and you drop dead, they can just pull you out without having to go in there. Next! You want this? This is what you want? You want to be a coin Gadol? No. No, I, I don't want to be a coin Gadol. They give it to me. You want to eat. You want to drink. You want to enjoy all the things that life has to offer. When Chaim Shmulovitz was in Europe, he says, I could never figure out Esav. What a dummy. Imagine trading Oilam Haba for Oilam Haza. What's Oilam Haza? A piece of brown bread and, and, a, and a turnip? In Eastern Europe, they mostly had roots. That's why you're supposed to use a green vegetable for karpas to uh, remember Chodesh Aviv. And a lot of people use potatoes. Why? Because that's all they had. My father, they used an onion. Because that's all they had. They had roots. They would eat borscht, beets. They would drink vodka made out of potatoes. That's all they had were roots. The, the earth was frozen most of the year. You couldn't plant anything. So, uh, uh, he said, I can't believe you would give up 
Olam Haba for Olam Haza. He says, and then I went to America and I saw Esav wasn't so stupid after all. <laughs> he saw what, what, what Olam Haza can offer you. All the delightful pleasures that exist. And so he says to Esav, you don't want to be a Kohen Gadol. You don't want this Avoda. I'll take it off your hands. I'll give you some of this red stuff. He's like, ooh, red stuff. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. That's the exchange. The Maharal on uh, Nair Mitzvah, which discusses Hanukkah. That's really his introduction to the Dalad Goliath. The Dalad Malchios that the Jewish people have to face. And Dalad Malchios, he says, are built into creation. As the Chazal say, Va'aretz ha'yesa tohu v'vohu v'choshech al p'nei tohu that's uh, Bavel, that's Poras, Choshech, that's Yavan, Apneitahom, that's Edom. The Dalid uh, Malchios, each one of them posed a particular challenge to us that we had to face. And it's alluded to in the four different types of animals that Avraham Avinu brings by the, by the Brisbane of Sarim. It pops up in a lot of different places. Ayn Maharal, he goes through this a little bit. In any event, the concept of these four malchios, um, as I mentioned, permeate history, and we have to face those challenges. And so we got through the first three uh, relatively relatively in a short amount of time. But Yavan, which is the Choshech al Pnei the deep waters, that's the veneer of culture that Greece gave to Rome, the Roman Empire. Rome didn't have any culture. Whatever they had was Greek. They stole from the Greeks. The pantheon of gods were just the Greek pantheon of gods changed into Roman. So Cupid became Eros and Athena became Venus and uh, Zeus became Jupiter. You know, and uh, they uh, they took each one of the different aspects and just, just made it Roman, but they didn't have any of their own culture. They didn't care about culture. They only cared about power. Power. It's almost 2,000 years we're in Gaulus Edom. We're not doing so good. Because it's very hard to get sick of power. The first base was destroyed. Why? Because of Avodazor Gilei Reis and Shrikh Damim. And Bovel, Modai, Paras, they represented those affairs. There's only so much of that that you can handle before you get sick of it. But Power? Second base was destroyed because of Sinus Chinam slash Lashon Hara. What's that about? It's all about power. Why am I angry at you? Because of what you did to me. That's why I hate you. 
know why I talk about you? Because I'm jealous about you. Because you infringe on me. So, we're not doing so good on that. Throughout history, the Jewish people have had better times, have had worse times. And in Gullus Edom, it has to do with how well we stand up to these challenges of being able to see beyond Edom Adom Azeh and to see what's inside of the pot. That's why Rashi says, because lentils are round and don't have an opening, and I don't care if they're lentils or if they're eggs, that's not the point. It doesn't matter what you're eating. I remember hearing from the guy who used to bring Reverend Feldman his breakfast when he was in Arsamech. And he always had the same thing every morning. He would have a hard-boiled egg and he would have uh, uh, bread, whatever it was that he ate. So one day, I don't know what the occasion was, but besides the hard-boiled eggs, they had this sort of like Spanish omelet. So he comes to him and he says, "Um, you know, Rebbe, they have two different types of eggs today. Which would you prefer the other one? He says, I don't care. He says, no, because it's more like a scrambled egg than a hard-boiled egg. He says, I don't care. He says, but they made it more like a, sort of like an omelet. There's like, you know, vegetables in it. He goes, listen, it all ends up in the same place. It doesn't really make a difference. I eat an egg because the Chazal say that a, that a person who's learning should eat meat every morning. There's a number that says that eggs are like meat. That's why I have an egg. But how they prepare it is not important to me. Because I'm eating the egg. So that's, that's the idea. What are you eating and why? So it's not a question of you like eggs, you like lentils. That's irrelevant. We're looking for something that's round that doesn't have an opening. Who cares what it is? Maybe it was just easier to get their hands on eggs. I don't know. But from that point of view, that makes no difference. Because we're looking beneath the surface. Not just how does it look and how does it smell and how does it taste. It's not just, you know, these kids who come home and they're like, I'm hungry. What do you want to eat? <laughs> there used to be this thing called Cracker Jacks. I'm sure it's still around. Cracker Jacks uh, has uh, it's candy-coated popcorn and peanuts. And they used to mix it together in a box and it would come with a little prize. And uh, I remember the jingle from the 1960s. What do you want when you gotta eat something? And it's gotta be sweet and it's gotta be a lot and you gotta have it now. Candy-coated popcorn, peanuts, and a prize. That's what you get in Cracker Jack. Yeah. So, it's got to be sweet, and it's got to be a lot, and i got to have it now. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We want it sweet, we want a lot. So, we focus on externalities. So, when I was running NCS in Long Island, I would tell people I had a really successful shop at Tone. And they said, really? How many people were there? Because that defines success. He's a successful uh, doctor. He's a successful businessman. He's successful whatever. Really? How much does he make? 
you know, I have a really nice shidduch for you. Oh, yeah? What do they look like? It's all external. That's all we see are externalities. There's an entire area of psychology, I think we've spoken about this, called industrial psychology, where they spend their time figuring out how to package something that you'll go out and buy it. So that you'll look at it and think, oh, wow, I need that. When uh, they have these cooking contests, so there's always points given for presentation. Because how it looks is almost as important as how it tastes. And we expect things to look because we focus on the externality. That's why Pepsi came out with something called Pepsi Clear. Tasted exactly Pepsi, only it looked like water. The taste was exactly the same. Nobody wanted it. Didn't look right. Um, they came out at one point with like blue ketchup and green ketchup, purple ketchup. Nobody wanted it. Ketchup's supposed to be red. We we have a we have a sense of how things are supposed to look. We don't like it when you mess around with us. We judge things on by how they look. We talked about this in our Shidduch series. Um, does he wear a black yarmulke or a kippah sruga? So you could say that they're asking, each one of those things represent a particular hashkafa, what's his hashkafa, but very often they don't care. As long as he's wearing a black yarmulke, I don't really care what he believes. <laughs> there are people who are no more firm than you, Scarecrow, but they have something you don't have, a black hat. Now, poof, you are from... When I was in Derech, if you came the first year wearing a hat, you could wear your hat. If you didn't, Rabbi Lazarus would not allow you to put on a hat your first year. It's too easy. Too easy to do something external. <clears throat> and that's how we define Frumkite. We define Frumkite by how you look. Now what's on the inside? Now what's going on underneath the surface? That is the gullus that we're in. And for us to be able to free ourselves from this is so difficult. We are so external. So we define success by how does it look? How does it taste? Uh, how much does it cost? Person will come back and say, oh, I was at a place for Shabbos. They had a $200 bottle of wine. I don't know, is does that automatically make it a better bottle of wine? I don't know. Maybe. Um, Johnny Walker has several different varieties. The lowest variety is Johnny Walker Red. Then you move up to Johnny Walker Black. And then there's Green and, and uh, Gold. Each one of them has... Whether one is higher than the other is, is a discussion people have tried to have with me, and I really... I couldn't tell, but but the 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 highest level is Johnny Walker Blue, very expensive. So, but it's Johnny Walker Blue, you know. So one year I used to go to my Shapiro for Purim, and I came back, and uh, the duty free, I bought a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue, and I bring it in, and was like, ooh, you know, and it comes in like a casket, you know, you open it up and you take it out, and it's like, wow, you know, and they peel everybody to the and everybody drinks, and Rav Moshe goes. 
I don't get it. <laughs> and everyone else goes, me either. It was, I didn't find it to be something exceptional. It wasn't anything exceptional. So this uh, Baal Simcha had a bottle of Blue Label and it ran out. He just filled it up with red. Nobody knew the difference. You know? And they would go, oh, Johnny Walker Blue. <laughs> I said, did you fool everybody? Everyone except the Rub. He said, what's this? <laughs> well, most people, they, oh, Johnny Walker Blue. It must be good because it's the most expensive one. Because that's how we judge things, based on externality. I heard this story. I don't know if it's true. I don't check it out. I'm not Pesach Kron. Yeah. But there's an expensive type of fish called sea bass. It happens to be very good. I was told, I don't know if this is true. I didn't check it out. That it was a cheap cut of fish. And all the fishmongers got together and decided we're going to raise the price, double the price of, of sea bass. And so everybody decided it must be Hashem if they're charging so much money for it. Yeah. There's a cut of meat. I'm trying to which one it was. Uh, that A similar thing. You know, they, it, it was always a cheap cut of meat and suddenly everybody decided it's an expensive cut of meat and now they charge a fortune for it and everybody pays it because, you know, <laughs> must, be, must be good if it costs so much money. That's how, that's how we go. I go to a restaurant that's crowded. Yogi Berra was speaking about a particular restaurant. He goes, it's so crowded, nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> yeah. So what we have to do in order to be Yaakov is to look beneath the surface. We can't, we can't just uh, focus on externalities. Ha'adom, ha'adom, ha'adom. We have to look inside of the pot. And then we make our decisions not on its color or its look or its taste, but it's round that doesn't have an opening, then that is the Sudasavra. Understand the purpose of what we're eating and why it's meaningful. Merit Hashem during these days, as we go into the winter. It's cold and it's dark. And uh Everything starts to, uh, leaves all fall off the trees. What happens when you're 70? Must come a time, 70. When you're old and it's cold and who cares if you live or you die? I played Fagan and Oliver in camp. Anyway, so, uh, so that's it. We don't want to be Edom. We want to be Yaakov. And uh, Yaakov is, is the Ish Tam, from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, Tam, complete, spiritually. Whether or not he was such an impressive specimen is irrelevant. It's the what's on the inside that makes a difference. We should all be Zaycha during these times to be able to achieve, to be B'nai Yaakov, and to free ourselves finally from Gullus Edom. It's Hashem. And now we come to the question and answer portion of our program. Anonymous asks, in the Rav's Yom Kippur story with Reb Levi Yitzchak Bedichif, you mentioned how Yosela asked for a machzer instead of Mashiach. Why was that held against him? How are we supposed to know 
when there is an ace rotson for something. It's not a question of an ace rotson. It's a question of what do you ask for? What are your sheifas? Is is the best that you can expect uh, a machzer? Right? You have a moment. You have a moment. Then he had a moment. Yeah? He, he, he understood. I lost my wife. I lost my money. I lost my business. I lost everything. And I'm still struggling. And I'm going into Yom Kippur. And the only thing I can think of that I need is a machzer. Why aren't you thinking about Mashiach? Because you think, uh, who's asking for Mashiach? I'm not thinking that way. You have to have dreams. You have to have sheifas. It happens to be from time to time when I talk, as we've already established, I'm something of a social critic. And so afterwards, people say to me, why isn't anybody doing anything? And I said, I am. If I have to save the world by myself, I will. If you want to help me, there'll be two of us. But I'm not giving up. My goal is to save Klai Yisrael. Okay. You know, I can argue my limitations and look at all the reasons why I should not succeed. But as the Alt of Navardic said, I never asked whether I could do something. I asked if something should be done and I knew that Akash Baruch would give me the Kayach to do it. So, uh, dream. Dream. Dream, dream, dream. And that doesn't only include going to thedreamraffle.com and getting the two-for-one special. Okay, Anonymous asks, given the recent elections in Israel and the USA, I was wondering the following. Why does the Torah require us to have a king? History has shown all the problems that a total monarchy has. Even the Jewish kings in Tanakh routinely had problems with corruption and abuse of power. For example, King Ahav killing Navais and hunting down the Nevi'im. Queen Italia killing and almost uh, wiping out all the descendants of David. Menashe forcing everyone to worship the Baal, other kings who killed the Sanhedrin, etc. That will probably be Yanai. In democracy, really worse than having a, a complete tyrant on the throne? Why does the Torah require a king when the position uh, has so many troubles and uh, problems that can come along from it? Okay. Let's back up a step. Um, the fact that people do not live up to expectations does not mean that there's a problem with the institution. Uh, there was an Amtrak driver who was texting and didn't notice uh, what was going on in the train. It derailed. Killed a bunch of people. There was a guy uh, who was driving the Staten Island Ferry. And he wasn't paying attention. And, uh, you know, he ended up, uh, 
ended up uh, crashing uh, into the dock, injuring people. There have been pilots. There have been crooked cops, crooked judges, uh, crooked politicians. So is the solution anarchy? That's in a democracy, by the way. So let's not have any police. Let's not have any judges. Let's not have any people driving the train or flying planes or doing anything. Don't give anybody any positions of responsibility because they can abuse it. Patients have been misdiagnosed by doctors. Let's get rid of doctors. Hospitals have made poor decisions about patient care. Let's get rid of hospitals. You can look at any institution and say, well, look at the problems. And because of the problems, let's dispose of the institution. But that's not the right approach. The way to be able to work is to be able to come up with the most uh, perfect system that we can. Democracy? The founders of America didn't want a democracy. Um, there's a story told that Jefferson said to Washington, what do you want the Senate? What's the purpose of the Senate? The House of Representatives, that's democracy. Everybody votes. They get a representative. The representatives vote. Now, that's only because they didn't have the option of just having everybody, you know, immediately, you know, push a button and have them vote on the spot. No, they had representatives. The Senate was a whole different institution. So Washington said to Jefferson, why do you pour your tea into the saucer before drinking it? He says, to cool it off. He says, that's the purpose of the Senate, to slow it down. Because masses can be given to hysteria. Democracy can run wild. And the people in charge can just do the most horrific things in the name of democracy. In Israel, we have a democracy. There's no constitution. 51% of the population could theoretically impose their will on the remaining 49%. Nothing they can do about it. There are no guarantees. There's no constitution. There's no bill of rights. No, I do whatever I want. That's a democracy. Yeah. In England, there's no free speech. Some guy sent out, forwarded a meme that uh, some people found offensive. They arrested him, carried him away in handcuffs. No right to free speech. No rights. A democracy, it's mob rule. Looks like a good day for a hanging. There's no reason in democracy not to have slavery. If we all get together and a majority vote that we're going to enslave a certain portion of the population, it's democracy. Put it to a vote. Well, you have to have guarantees. There's no constitutional government. That's, that's an American concept that they came up with, and the left is trying hard to get rid of it because it limits their ability to impose on everybody else what they want. They don't want free speech. They don't want anybody to say whatever they want because we find it offensive. You can only say what we want. That's a democracy. So because there's not Mussolini in charge, you know, El Duce 
imposing his will on everybody, but rather it's the mob that's imposing their will on everybody that makes it okay. The Torah believes in a constitutional monarchy. The Constitution is the Torah. The balance of power is maintained by the Sanhedrin, because there are a lot of things that the king cannot do without a Sanhedrin. He needs to go to the Urim Vitumim, which is run by the Kohen Gadol. There's a certain balance of powers that go into this institution. But the ideal is a king. Why? Because we say about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, Baruch Ato Hashem Elokeinu Melech Ha'ilam. We learn how to understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu from a Melech. Now, can you corrupt the institution? Of course you can. But that's not the, that's, that's not what the position is meant for. A king is supposed to be a symbol. The closest we came to that in America, according to certain historians, was, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He was a, he was a, a Renaissance man. He was a big game hunter in Africa. He was a war hero. He wrote the definitive book on ornithology, the study of, uh, of birds. He spoke a whole bunch of different languages. He grew up in an aristocratic family in New York. He, he, he was, he was just so multi-talented and that's what a king is supposed to be. I quote from the historical work, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where in order to get across the bridge, you have to answer these three questions. Answer me these questions three or the other side you wish to see. What is your name? I am Lancelot. What is your quest? I seek the Holy Grail. What's your favorite color? Blue. Okay. So, so Robin, who's a coward, he's like, oh, I could do that. What's your name? So Robin, what's your quest? I seek the Holy Grail. What's the average philosophy of a sparrow? I don't know that. And he falls over the bridge. So finally, Arthur gets there. What is your name? I am Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? I seek the Holy Grail. What's the average velocity of a sparrow? It depends, European or African. I don't know that. And so the keep of the bridge falls over. And his aide says to him, how did you know that? He goes, when you're a king, you have to know these things. (laughs) That's what a king is supposed to be. He's supposed to be a higher sug ben Adam that acts as a rallying point for everybody. Lev kol ha'am, says the Rambam. He's supposed to be the point that brings all of Klai Yisrael together. Says the Maharal, he's allowed to have 18 wives. Why the number 18? Because if you think of this world as six sides, so the four directions are up and down. Where they meet the edges, there are 12 of those edges. They take the 12 edges and the six sides and come up with 18, because the king has to unite every aspect of Klai Yisrael and bring it together and be their leader. So could the position be abused? Sure, so could democracy. So could uh, a dictatorship. So could uh, anything else. The Torah did not envision a king as an oriental potent who can do whatever he wants. There's a balance of power there in the ideal sense. And so David Melech, who is king, Nasanavi comes in and accuses him, j'accuse! They don't drag him off and kill him. David Melech says, chatosi, seek. Why? Because he was in so much pain, he couldn't get out the rest of the words. He's supposed to say, Chatosi, Avisi, Pashati, but the Navi said, I did something wrong. That's the way it's supposed to work, ideally. Shoshana Schwartz asks, it's said that words have power. 
So we must be careful what we say. On the pre-Yom Kippur podcast, you said to make a point, I cut off my leg with a power saw. I lost my leg. Why is it okay to make this and other bold statements that others would not? Well, Shoshana, you know me. I always say things that other people would not. <laughs> As somebody once said, sometimes I think you think whether or not this is appropriate to say or not, and despite whatever you come up with, you say it anyway. There's some truth to that. Um, and of course... Uh, as she continues in a question, seeing as how uh, you take real rabbi questions now, here is my question. I am not asking out of curiosity. I learned from you long ago to say it like it is, and I um, looking and I like backing for this the idea that, as I very often will talk about, the fact that Hashem loves us and Hashem believes in us, and that's true. And that's true. So the two things can be true at the same time. Hashem loves us. Hashem is rooting for us. Hashem wants to see us succeed. As a parent, right? We're both parents. We're both grandparents. You know, you want what's best for your kids. But sometimes you sit by helplessly and watch your kids make really poor decisions and you would do anything you can to try to get them not to do it because you understand the consequences. I had a daughter, Bez Yaakov, and she was very upset about the dress code. And she says, that's it. I'm not wearing that skirt. They can throw me out. I'm not going to wear that skirt. I said, okay, let's think for a second the consequences of what you're saying. They'll throw you out of school. No other school is going to take you. You know, you're going to wander the streets. You're not going to find a shidduch. You're not gonna, is it really worth it over a skirt? And they say, yes. <laughs> that's a poor judgment. And sometimes people make poor choices. And, okay, they sometimes have a circuitous journey in order to find their way back. But to say that actions don't have consequences is just not honest. I've made choices in life. Some of them were really bad, and I suffered as a consequence. And, okay, I had to work that much harder to put things back together. Right? I know, for example, those of you who are not familiar, Shoshana Schwartz works with kids who suffer from abuse and things like that. So you understand, you're, you've been an abusive parent. You've abused kids. You know, or never, uh, sexual molesters or whatever the case happens to be. There's consequences to your actions. You can come back. You can rebuild your life. You know, if you decide not to go to your son's grave and blow your brains out, then there's always a, there's always a road for redemption. There's always a way to find your way back, no matter how terrible it is. But, uh, but you have to know that if you're an adult, Kodesh Baruch Hu tells you, I give you the freedom to make choices, and those choices are going to have consequences. Some of them are going to be very good, and some of them are going to be very bad. And at the end of the day, you have to deal with the situation that you have. That was the message. So, again, a person can choose to focus on whatever they choose to focus on. The fact that there's a reality doesn't change the fact that the Kodesh Baruch Hu loves us and rooting for us. And and that is, when I was at a very, very bad part in my life, that's how I approached the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And I said, listen, I I can't, I can't, the Midas Adin is too hard for me. I'm going to focus on the fact that I'm going to dedicate my life to you and I'm going to try the best that I can within my limitations. 
and I know I'm going to mess up more than I'm going to succeed. And that's it. That's It's just who I am. Okay, so I made some poor choices during those times. I wish I was somebody else, but that doesn't get us anywhere. So the best you can do is deal with your limitations, and sometimes you make bad decisions, and then you have to, you know, you have to work with what you made. Anonymous asks, sometimes you have a friend that wants to arrange a shidduch between your child and his, and you know it's a bad idea. Is there a way to politely turn down the shidduch and still remain friends? Nope. Absolutely not. (laughs) The best you could do is move out of town, (laughs) change your number. (laughs) Because your question is predicated on the fact that these parents obviously have no idea who their children are, as is very often true as a parent. We very uh, often have a blind spot when it comes to our kids. When a kid is getting into bad things, very often the parents are the last to know. They don't see it. They have a blind spot when it comes to their kids. So if you have a friend who has a kid who's nothing like the friend thinks, and uh, and your kid is not shaykh at all, but they want it to go together, so you could tell them, no, I don't think it's a good idea. Why? Why? What's wrong? I don't understand. What's the problem? you got a good girl, i got a good boy, it's terrific, the two of them will get along great, you know, they grew up together, it's so wonderful. Why? Tell me why. So Israelis have this line, lo matim. But that doesn't work for a friend. Of a lama, why? What, what? To explain, it to, explain it to me. So like I say, uh, I, I don't, if there is a way to gracefully get out of that, other than to say, well, we're not really in Shaduchim right now, or I'm dying, uh, you know, of a rare disease. I don't know how to get out of that situation. I really don't. If anyone has any suggestions, I'd love to hear them, but I don't know how to negotiate that. Anonymous asks, can you speak about being firmer than Hashem, doing Chumras, that in essence don't help you grow in your Ruchnias? Sure. Judaism is like a fitted sheet. And you can only pull so much on one side before the other side pops up. So when it comes to a chumrah, you have to decide, what is this chumrah going to cost me? I had one kid who had a lot of things that she had to do before she could go to sleep. She had to learn, you know, she had to learn this and she had to say that. She had a lot of stuff that she had to do. And most mornings I'd find her passed out on the couch because it was just too overwhelming. She couldn't do it. It was too much. So she had to back up. And sometimes people take on chumras that make them resentful. You have to, you have to be honest. What are my needs? What do I have to do? What do I, you know, and if I take on something and it's too much, I have to be honest about it. And so that's why I'll tell, I've told this story before. I'll tell it. Uh, um, my parents loved having all the children together for Rosh Hashanah, but my parents didn't have that big a house, and can I know how are we all getting married and having kids? So they said, we're going to go away to a hotel and take all the kids. Okay. So we went to the Homawak for Rosh Hashanah. So at some point, my father says to me, did you notice one of your brothers didn't come? And I said, yeah, I noticed. He goes, do you know why? I said, no. He says, he didn't think it was proper to daven in a hotel minion. It's better to daven in a shul. 
I said, I hear that. So my father said, then why did you come? I said, I decided to be machmer on Kibbut Avayim. Not to dear Raisa. Davening Rosh Hashanah is a Dorabonah. Got to keep your priorities straight. Okay, that's it for this week. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to my website, rabbiolowski.com. You can leave a comment. You can sponsor an episode. You can uh, um, listen to the theme song. You can listen to other shiurim and uh, and uh, find uh, other articles that I've written. All kinds of fun and exciting things. And uh, that's it. Until next time, I am David Orlovsky, and this is the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. The Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Knowledge and wisdom will help you grow. Lots of fun in every episode, and we don't have to rhyme. No, we don't. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. On RabbiOrlovsky.com Torah Anytime YouTube and more It's Rabbi Orlovsky Show Torah and Simba Ready to go It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show Till next time Till we meet again It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show Show